Good morning, everyone. I deeply regret saying that I thought the second half was better than the first half. <laughs> no, I, I think I've raised your expectations now. I personally found it, for me personally, in studying it, more exciting. But that's just my personal way. So, part two. Let me recap for you. Oh, by the way, hello everybody on live stream. Hope you're having a good morning. Now we're going to continue to look at what Jesus did through the life of the church after he'd gone back to heaven. Remember Luke, who wrote the, look, the book of Luke and the book of Acts, and, this, and not, we're going through selected stories in the book of Acts. Says, he said this, in my first book, Dear Lover of God, that's uh, Theophilus is the word he used, but it means lover of God. Dear lover of God, in my first book, I began to give an accurate account of all the things that Jesus, not this word, began to do. So when we look at the Gospels, Mark, Mark, Luke, Matthew, John, we see what Jesus began to do. He hasn't finished his work. He's gone back to heaven. He said to his disciples before he went back to heaven, I'm going to send you another comforter. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. The Greek word is parakletos, the one who draws alongside to encourage, and he will guide you into truth, and he will work through you. And he says, greater things than the things you've seen me do, you will do. The extent is going to be greater because he's going to heaven and now we have the Holy Spirit. The work of Jesus is multiplied through us and through the church. And so in the book of Acts, we see what Jesus is continuing to do through his people, the church. And last week, we explored and we examined how Paul, on the Damascus Road, with letters to persecute the Christians and take them into jail and drag them before the high priest and have them executed, basically. That was his goal. He, on the Damascus Road, had a vision of Jesus standing. And Jesus met with him, the resurrected Jesus. And he said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And that, in that moment, Saul, rather, had a dramatic and powerful conversion because he met with the resurrected Jesus. And he had a brand new name to demonstrate the change of life. And he was changed from, Paul, from Saul to Paul. And he started well. We, we saw that Saul started well preaching and teaching about Jesus that he'd just discovered straight away. But there was a problem for it because he wanted to become a part of the Jerusalem church. But the Jerusalem disciples would not receive him because they were so frightened of him because basically he was a terrorizing um, persecutor of the church. And they would not receive him. It says when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. And we discovered last week that this would have been disastrous for Paul because if he wasn't anchored into a, a local church, and I mean not just going to you know, worship on on a Sunday or wherever it was, but actually part of the community, he wouldn't have been able to grow as a Christian and fulfill his potential and the purposes that God had for him. Because the, the soil for a Christian is the church. It's the church, not a building like we are in this morning, but the community and where we are encouraged by one another and we feed on God's word and worship together. Yes, we have moments like this morning which are very, very important, but during the week we connect with loving community and we work it out together. And Christianity 
is not to be worked out on our own, but be worked out together. God never had a solo deal in mind for us when he invited us to become a part of his gang. He always intended for us to do it together. You know, the greatest commandment is love the Lord with all your heart, and as we heard today, your neighbor is yourself. Well, how can you do that individually? We do that in community. He said to the disciples, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. Well, how can we do that if we just live life individually as an isolated Christian? How can we love the other disciples, both then and now? No, we do it as a part of community. We are the church of God. We are the family of God. We are the people of God. And Paul, not being able to connect with this great purpose of God for the church, would have meant that he would not be planted, he would not be able to grow, and he would not fulfill his ministry. It's a disaster for him, and it would have been a disaster for us because most of the New Testament letters, God used Paul to write. And we have have so much richness about the way of God and the purposes of God and following Jesus through the life of Paul. Absolutely prolific ministry. He was a world-changing ministry. And it may never have happened if it wasn't for one man we discovered. Remember that last week? One man, Barnabas. Barnabas saw the hand of God upon Paul. He looked beyond the outside and he saw that God had a future for him and he took him to the disciples. And Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And Barnabas introduced him personally and relationally to the community of the church and everything changed for Paul in that moment. And it says that he was able to go around Jerusalem freely. He began to preach because he was then growing and he was in the safety of a local church, the Jerusalem church. And we have so much to thank God for because of Barnabas. And we discovered how God wants to use you and he wants to use me to be Barnabases to others so that we encourage people who are on a journey to find relationships, community, the social life of the church, the friendship life of the church, the belonging. How important it is that people feel like they belong to others, belong to the group, not out in the cold, not isolated. And, and it is the Barnabases that do that. And every one of us is called to be a Barnabas, to look out for others, that they may be planted, that they may grow and fulfill God's purposes. That's where we got up to last week. Okay, Um, next page. Now, part two. But (laughs) it wasn't all plain sailing for Paul. You see, like us all when we first come to faith, now I'll put my hand up first. Gosh, there's so many rough edges that sometimes have to be knocked off or areas in our life that need to develop. Um, Paul was a fiery character. He was a bulldozer of a man. Remember, he had this personal mission to arrest and kill Christians. And he went at it with all his heart, vigor, soul, and the whole church were absolutely 
petrified of him. Now remember this. The disciples and the apostles weren't going to allow Saul to join them because they were frightened of him. Now they'd already gone through a tremendous ordeal in seeing Jesus arrested, tried, and now they were frightened of this man, absolutely terrified because of his fierce anger towards Christians. Perhaps he hadn't... Um, so, so, what, so what we read here... Over to the next slide, please, if I could just have that up. So it says, Now Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. Here's the problem. Paul needed some rough edges knocked off him. He still continued to preach, but he preached in such a way that he was causing quarrels and, excite and igniting such hatred towards him that the Jews wanted to kill him completely. And this was a real problem. Perhaps he had not yet learned how to present Christ with love and grace. You see, the Bible says uh, in the book of John that the law came through Moses. Now, the law is all about it's a standard, and it's, it's true, but it means, but if you don't, you, it's something to, and you, okay, this is what happens when you don't, when you don't obey the law, you get punished, right? When you don't obey the law, you go to prison, or you get fined. When you don't obey the law, you are condemned, you are guilty, there's no love, there's no grace, there's no mercy in the law. You're either in or you're out, you're right or you're wrong. You're guilty or you're not. You're righteous or you're unrighteous. And if you don't reach the mark of the law, you suffer the consequence of it. Now, Saul was a Pharisee and he was an expert in the, in the law. And it would have been this understanding of the law that would have driven his judgmentalism to want to actually kill the Christians. But Having come to Christ now and received mercy, there still had an understanding and an inner transformation that needed to take place where the judgmentalism and the, and the ferocity of the law was replaced by grace. Now, so it says in the book of John, when Jesus came, it says, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So there still is truth, but we see it says grace and truth. Grace on the front foot, mercy on the front foot. So Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth. Now God is immovable in his truth. He's not going to bend what is true. He's not going to bend what is right. He's not going to bend what is unrighteous. God is holy, he is righteous, he is true. He is solid, he is immovable. The character of God will not change because he cannot deny himself. But he's also full of grace and truth. So this is what he does. He come, the front foot of God comes to us through Jesus Christ with mercy. Full of grace and full of truth. But the, what we first encounter with Jesus is mercy. And when we find his love and we find his grace and his invitation to forgive us despite our failings, his invitation to love us despite that we'll never make the grade, his invitation to use us despite that we're not qualified, his invitation to allow us to belong, although we may have even rejected him and we do so many things that would cause us 
to disqualify ourselves from belonging, but he comes to us with grace. Grace is undeserved favor. Grace is undeserved kindness. Grace is undeserved mercy. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve, you never will deserve, and you get more. That's grace. Grace, it's more than justice. It's, it's more than getting what you deserve. It's, it's the opposite. Not only are you forgiven, you get what you don't deserve. You get blessing and favor and goodness and kindness. And so it says of Jesus, the law came through Moses. That's, that's basically not only don't we get the good stuff, but we get what we deserve when we fail. Justice. The law came through Moses. But grace. And truth comes through Jesus, grace on the front foot. And Paul, being so steeped in the law <clears throat> and the spirit of the law, had not yet learned to proclaim Christ with grace on the front foot. And so as he was, as he was preaching and teaching and seeking to win people to Christ, he was basically pushing more people away than he was bringing to them. Now, the wonderful thing about the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of Christ, is this. It's good news. And when we present the gospel and when we present who Jesus is, whilst there is unyielding truth, I remember when I came to Christ, I did need to repent of a lot of stuff. I did need to say sorry. I needed to say, I'm not going to do that again. I did. But what won me was the grace, the love. And so I said, yes, the repentance is worth it for the grace and the love and the, and the new life and the purpose and the promise of heaven. And this, what we, what we experienced this morning, this exquisite presence of God that is more, your loving kindness is greater than life, it says in the scripture. It's all worth it because Jesus is so wonderful. And Paul had not yet, to, had not yet learned to actually put the love of Christ and the mercy of Christ on the front foot. And he was winding everybody up. And it was really a problem. It says basically they're arguing with him so much that he wanted to kill them. Now, as time went on, we learned that Paul mellowed a bit. You know, we, the rough edges do get taken off us, and over periods of time, we do mellow. And I remember when I first became a Christian, I was so passionate about what I had heard. I, I really do put more people off. I remember street preaching in Ireland once, and um, this uh, fellow, <laughs> it was a crowd who formed, and he just left the crowd, and he was just going to come and beat me up. And he walked into the middle of a crowd to, you know, start a, a fight with me. Now, unfortunately, uh, the evening before, there was a heckler who was a drunk on the streets. And um, he was heckling me so much that I could not preach. It was, it was just absolutely impossible to keep going because he was heckling, shouting, heckling, shouting, heckling, shouting, heckling, shouting. So I was preaching with paintbrushes and like that so I did illustrate it with, by painting and I put the paintbrushes down and I went over to him and I could see he didn't have any money he was homeless he was stinking of alcohol and, and he was poor chap he was in a terrible state and so I said come on I'll go, let's go over the road and I'll buy you a McDonald's so I went across the road because it was McDonald's and we sat aside the curb 
And I began to uh, befriend him and talk to him and share God's love with him and, uh, and uh, gave him a gospel of John and uh, actually led him to the Lord. He became a Christian. Uh, I've, I've, that's happened many, many times. There's a different approach. It's needed, you know, but sat down and he gave his life to the Lord. So the following evening, I'm out there in the streets, probably about eight o'clock at night it was, and uh, the, the crowd was there again, and this big guy broke from the crowd because he was coming straight for me, and I know I am in big trouble now. And he was, and uh, obviously he didn't like my approach. So uh, just as he got close enough to actually swing one at me, this guy who I befriended the night before jumped in in front of him and went right up to him and said, leave him alone. He's the only person who's ever treated me like a human being. When we present the gospel to people, we need to present the gospel to people in a way that they are human beings. They are our friends, not, and they, they are our friends, and they are deeply precious to God, and they are loved, and whatever words come out of our mouth in the way we communicate Christ, we need to do it with great respect. And I think Paul learned this over the course of time because when he was a mature ministry and he had planted the Ephesus church, he sent Timothy, his trainee, to the church to finish off some of the work. And he said to Timothy in the book of Timothy, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because, um, because um, they produce quarrels. Well, I think he was learning from experience. And then to Titus, uh, the same thing. He said, avoid foolish arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. And I think over time, Paul mellowed a bit. And whilst he would have still be absolutely unbending on truth, the front foot, the front foot would have been full of grace. So the church now had a problem. And their problem was with Paul. They've invited him into their mix, but he was stirring up problems. And basically, it wasn't just a problem for Paul. They wanted to kill Paul. It was going to ignite persecution. It would have ignited persecution for all the churches. And remember, James had already been executed. So the church, what they did is they sent Paul home. Whilst they'd received him, because now they trusted him, they couldn't cope with him because he was causing problems. So he says, they sent Paul to Tarsus for his sake and for their own sake. And then it says in the verse directly after that, and after this, the church experienced a time of peace. <laughs> it was like, oh, thank goodness for that. Paul, this firebrand who needs to mellow a bit, is gone, and they experience a time of peace, peace and it noted that the church grew greatly because of it. You see, in a time of trouble, when there's persecution, people don't want to join the church because of the persecution, because they're frightened to become part of the group, because the viciousness of the Hellenistic Jews, basically, they want to kill you. But when there's peace, there's freedom to preach the gospel and freedom to become a part of the group so people can grow. Paul says in the book of Timothy again, um, I don't want anybody to perish, but all to come to a knowledge of the truth, that we may have peace and the gospel will prosper. You see, times of peace, 
gospel prospers. So they sent him off, and they enjoyed a great time of peace. But, there's a lot of buts in this talk, but what would now happen to Paul? Because the hand of God was upon his life. And what was he going to do in Tarsus? He needed to be part of the group. He needed to grow. He needed to be better. He needed to be sent. And he's not just sent by God, but by sent with authority from the church. So what was he going to do? Now, this is what happened. A whole bunch of Jews uh, began to share the gospel with the Gentiles in Antioch. Now, Antioch is modern-day Syria. And they began to share the gospel there. And it says that in Antioch, many people came to Christ. Is it, oh God, uh, can I have the next slide? I think we'll read a bit earlier. Thank you very much. Now, news of this reached the church. So they, they'd come to Christ. And the, Jer- and the Jerusalem church, now they needed somebody to go and help this fledgling church. Who was going to teach them about Jesus? Who was going to teach them about what they, how they should be living and, and what the kingdom of God is all about? And the way of Christ. So what did they do? They needed somebody. They needed some, and they chose Barnabas. You see, Barnabas had this ability to reach out to others. And although the Gentile world was not his world because he was a devout Jew and familiar with the law and familiar with Jewish ways, he had a grace about him that saw the value in others even though they weren't a part of his cultural group. And he reached out and they sent Barnabas, the bridge builder, the one who comes alongside, the one who seeks to encourage, the one who sees the good in others even when they're not a part of his group. So the bridge builder, the encourager was sent and um, it says news reached the church and they sent Barnabas to Antioch and when he arrived he saw what the grace of God had done. He looked beyond the surface. You see, even up to that point, many of the Jewish leaders didn't believe that you could become a Christian unless you were part of the Jewish faith or got converted to Judaism first. But these didn't get converted to Judaism first. They were straight into Christ. And he he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Look at this. Look what happens when you and I choose to become full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, and choose to live out of the spirit of goodness and grace and encouragement and not judgmentalism and looking beyond the surface into the potential in the heart, not just looking through our own human eyes, but seeing seeing the grace of God on somebody, the mercy of God, the hand of God. Look what can happen. Not only can an individual life be changed and rescued and helped by Paul, but great numbers of people can be influenced through one person's attitude. You can be that person. You can be that person in your home. You can be that person in your street. You can be that person in the workplace. You can be that person in the university school, wherever. You can be that person. Let's be Barnabases. And the church began to grow. But, but, oh, here's another but. There's a lot of buts in this talk. They had a problem now because the church was growing so much it was too much for Barnabas to look after on his own. So what did Barnabas do? Did he go back to Jerusalem and get one of the apostles? 
maybe John or Peter or Andrew or Philip. What did he do? No, he didn't. Actually, Barnabas went and looked for Saul. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now that was a long way. That was a big trip, but he went out of his way. He went and searched him out. He went to find him. And when he found him, he didn't have Google Maps. He didn't have Facebook. He couldn't message him. He couldn't do an internet search. He had to go to another town. It took him days to get there, either on boat or foot, and find the man. Look at the commitment. Look at the heart. Look at the attitude. No wonder it says he was a good man. He went and found him. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. What an incredible thing. He went out and reached him. Think of the people that actually might be influenced by you because you and I clothe ourselves in this grace of Barnabas. We choose it. It's something we choose. It's something we cultivate. Think of the people that you may influence unawares. As you look at these individuals like Saul on the, first, on the surface, you write them off. He was written off with his ministry. Get, get out of here. Go to Tarsus. Twiddling his thumbs. He was on the bench. But Barnabas saw beyond the book cover. Think of the people that you may win, invite, help belong, help connect, that may become great influences and changes over the course of time. I remember in the 90s, um, we used to have church gatherings and meetings, inter-church meetings, and they were fantastic. And this one young man, I won't say who he was, but this one young man at the end of each meeting, he was a student, would come up to me at the end, after we'd done ministry and we're tired of tired and praying and wanted to go home and it would be late and he'd come up and he would ask for prayer and encouragement and counsel every single meeting. We're having these regular meetings, maybe twice, three times a week sometimes. And he would keep coming up. And uh, he was struggling with some personal issues and some anxiety issues. And uh, it would be so easy just to write him off and so easy just to say, I'm too tired. Um, but thankfully, um, I just continued to pray for him, counsel him, listen to him. It extended the time I got home, got home later. Years and years and years and years later, that man became an incredibly indiv uh, influential individual uh, you, behind the scenes and behind closed doors. And he opened up for me many, many strategic doors to influence people, especially in the um, political arena uh, with people like that. I would never... You see, if I'd written him off, if he'd been written off, that relationship wouldn't have been there. Can I just say, never write anybody off. Never write them off. Never do that. I'm so grateful for Pete Hodge. When he first saw me, he told me later, he said to himself, Lord, what have you brought me this time? I told him that I felt called to 
teach and to preach, you know, I only just become a Christian a couple of months. But I was so quiet, I was so shy, so quiet and so shy. I remember he took me to a school to do a school assembly. And the head teacher went up to Peter and said, he's very quiet, isn't he? Nobody ever really, nobody ever believed that I would be able to preach or teach. They really, really didn't. When I went to Bible college, they didn't, I just was not considered at all in terms of any form of leadership or preaching or teaching. I, I know I wasn't, because they told me. When we first planted the church, the first week of planting the church, and somebody found out, church leader came along, sat there at our table in the kitchen, and said, you shouldn't be planting a church, you don't have the experience, you're too young, you haven't got what it takes. Bit of a problem. I remember inviting some ministries that we respected to come to our early church plant, and we'd only been going under a year. And I remember one walking to the other as they were walking outside of our house, because we met in our house. And um, they said, I hope Julian is called because they don't have what it takes to build a church. Just wrote us all off. Wrote us all off. Wrote me off. I remember, I remember receiving a letter from another key leaders. Do you remember this? Saying that we didn't have what it takes to start this church and, we, and, and therefore you should close it down and join a church down the road and become one of their small groups. Didn't want to say, they wrote, they wrote me off, they wrote Sarah, they wrote Anima, they wrote Shana, Robert, wrote Tracer. I mean, there was, only, there was only about 10 of us there. But they wrote us off because we were young, because we were rough around the edge, because we were naive. They wrote us off. But what they didn't see is there was a grace, there was a calling. They didn't see what God saw. They didn't see what God could do. And I want to say to you today, you are not written off. You may not feel as if you've got the whole shebang. You may feel as if you haven't gone the whole nine yards. Well, none of us have. You are not written off. God has not written you off. You are not a write-off. God has called you. He loves you. His spirit is in you. His grace is upon you. His, his seeds and his gifts are within you. Gosh, what is it you cannot do? My goodness me, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. He has given you the gifts of the Spirit. You can learn to prophesy. You can learn to get words of knowledge. You can learn to heal the sick. God says, if any man lack wisdom, ask God and he will give it to you. Do you know what that means? You lack wisdom. You can ask God and he will give it to you. Do you know what wisdom does? Wisdom is a door opener. You are not a write-off. You are included. You are in. You belong to God. And God takes, it says, God takes the weak things of the world to dumbfound the wise in the world, worldly wise. You may feel weak, you may feel useless, but I tell you what, you're not a write-off. And Barnabas knew the secret and he looked with different eyes. And you are not a writer. I want to encourage you not to write anybody else off either. But always do what Barnabas did. Draw alongside the word Barnabas, son of 
one who draws alongside. It's the same word as parakletos, which Jesus says, I give you another, I give you the Holy Spirit. It means son of the parakletos, son of the one who draws alongside to encourage. So draw alongside. Is there someone you know who needs reaching? Is there someone you know who's drifting, is out in the cold? Is there someone you need to find? Is there someone who needs your help, not just to come along, but to connect and belong as a difference? Is there someone not just needs your help to come along, but to connect and belong? Is there someone to encourage that they may grow in their own life and grow into the full potential that God has for them? Because you can be a Barnabas. We can be a Barnabas church. And it starts today. And it continues in the week by offering friendship or the hand of friendship during the week. And it can be established as you welcome people into your, listen to this, friendship group. You see? You reach out as a friend. You continue in friendship and you help them. What did Barnabas do? He helped him belong. Friendship group. It's so important to allow people to come into your friendship group. The people, social group, church group, friendship group. Everybody has an assignment to be a Barnabas, to help people belong. It's called loving your neighbor as yourself. It's called doing unto others as you would want them to do unto you. So we can put it into practice straight away. Is there someone here today, for example, that you haven't spoken to before? Because when we finish and we go out in the COVID-friendly way into the car park and the sun is still shining, we can go up to them, we can walk across the car park, and we can say, hi. That's all it takes. I mean, I'm sure you can do that. You can go and say, hi. My name's... Have we met before? That's all it takes. That's all it takes. Is there somebody, or if you're new here today, I want to encourage you to come up to us and say, hi, because we'd love to meet you. And maybe there's somebody who's been watching online. And we'd love you. You have an invite to come along and say, hi, because it'd be great to see you. Come along. And as we do these things consistently, many will find their place and grow. And that's the goal, that people may grow in their relationship with Jesus and fulfill the wonderful potential and purposes that God has for them. Flourishing in the soil where God has planted them. Let me pray for you. Father, I want to thank you for the amazing encouragement that you bring to us through Barnabas, a simple man. We don't know how he was converted. We don't know how he was called. He wasn't part of the 12. But he was a man who cultivated a good and generous heart, a man full of grace. And Holy Spirit, this morning, we give ourselves to you. And we pray that we will all individually and together be Barnabases. 
and a Barnabas church. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.